Hi, my name is Stephen Mansfield and this is your 15. The topic of our 15 today is really exciting to me uh, because it's a world in which I work. We're going to be talking about God's will for government. We're not talking about God's will for government in the church. We'll, we'll do that at another time. We're going to be talking about God's will for government in the sense of actual governments of nations and, and states and, and etc. That area of government. Now, that's going to sound odd to some people because for many people, the Bible uh, is a book that is all about our individual relationship with Jesus or maybe the, about how to run a church. It's a manual for living the Christian life and there's no question that's what it is. But I think that we will be better off. I think we'll have better societies, we'll certainly have stronger Christians and more culture-shaping Christians if we understand that the Bible speaks to more than just the individual Christian life and the running of a church. The Bible actually offers a worldview. That may be a word that some of you aren't, aren't real familiar with. A worldview means a way of seeing the world. Now, does the Bible tell us everything we need to know about everything in the world? No, the Bible's not going to tell you how to run your computer or fly a jet or, you know, do surgery. No, of course not. But the Bible gives us the lens through which we're meant to see the world, the basic principles that we're meant to understand about how the world should work and about the values and the, the things that we're, we're, we're meant to do in the world and what we're meant to encourage in the world and what God's will is in the world and things of that nature. So, no, of course, the Bible doesn't give us the details of how to run a government. It does give us a view of government. You know, it's, it's very important for us to understand that when God revealed His will in the Old Testament to the, to the people of Israel and all that history that's described in the Old Testament, He was not just teaching them about their uh, individual relationships with Him or even their corporate relationship with Him. He was also telling them how to run a society. If you have read the Old Testament, you know that, that there are vast passages, not just about sacrifices and priesthoods and tabernacles and, you know, blood atoning and sin being dealt with and all of that. that. That's all very, very important. Some people call that the ceremonial law, all the rituals of the tabernacle and the temple. Very valuable. But God also revealed His will for the running of a society. You remember all the things that he talked about, what, how evidence should be presented in a court, and how taxes should be collected, and you know, civil matters like, you know, if a man digs a ditch in his yard and neighbor falls in, what's the obligation of the man who dug the ditch to the man who's now hurt? Or if my ox gores my neighbor, what's my obligation to my neighbor? I mean, it goes on and on. Who you can marry. What happens if a, if a, if a woman gets bumped when two men are fighting and, and, and her pregnancy is damaged? What happens about slaves? What happens? All of these sort of things. Even about how to, how, some, some principles about military affairs. The, the, the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is revealing truth about how to live in the world and particularly about how to run a society. Now, some of us might think that because that's in the Old Testament and we're living, those of you watching I assume, are Christians who focus on the New Testament, some of us might conclude that, that all of that Old Testament stuff is just that Old Testament stuff that has quote-unquote passed away. <clears throat> but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And I want to suggest to you that when we take Old Testament truth and in a sense we pass it through the cross, some things are fulfilled, right? Like you have high priests in the Old Testament, now Jesus is our high priest. You have uh, sacrifices in the Old Testament, now Jesus is our sacrifice. Uh, you have temple rituals in the Old Testament, now we worship, so to speak, in a heavenly temple, the book of Hebrews tells us. 
all of that's been fulfilled or modified by the sacrifice of Jesus. But there are many things from the Old Testament that are not fulfilled or passed away or abolished. Uh, instead, they are meant to pass into the New Covenant era. Let me just give you a quick example. If we rely on the New Testament only, I'm never told who I can marry and who I cannot. Now, there are great long passages of that in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, I'm never told who I can marry and who I can. But if I were to suggest to most New Testament Christians that I can marry my sister, those Christians would lose their minds, and rightly so. But what are they doing? They're taking Old Testament principles, bringing them through the cross, seeing that they're unchanged by the cross of Jesus, meaning that they're not fulfilled or modified in some way, and that they're applied. Uh, matters being established out of the mouth of two or more witnesses. Um, evidence in court. Uh, how, how to deal with incorrigible teenagers. Of course, in the Old Testament, they stoned them. Of course, that passes through the cross, and there's a new way of dealing with it. So, there are, there are many principles uh, in the Old Testament and, that were given for the running of a society that ought to pass through the cross and be wisdom for us in the New Testament era. Now, if, if that's true, then God must still be speaking to the realm of government. He must still want us to hold these principles. He must still want us to encourage these principles. And I think we find in the New Testament that that is exactly true. Let me read to you kind of a lengthy passage, uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7. And let's see if God isn't speaking to this issue of government. And we'll talk about how uh, a Christian version or biblical version of government uh, should work in, in the world, particularly in relationship to the, to the church. Paul writes to the Romans, uh, he says, uh, whoever rebels against the authority uh, is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do no wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword uh, for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, that Romans 13 passage, Romans 13, uh, the passage in Romans 13, has been debated all throughout church history. Um, people have tried to figure out exactly what it means. And we don't need to get overly specific today, but here's what we know. The Bible says there is no authority except that which comes from God. And that those who rule in what we call civil government, you know, state government, national government, etc., uh, those forms of government, and those people in government, they are the servants of God. They are to be submitted to. They're to be funded by our taxes. Uh, they're to be honored. We'll see elsewhere that we're supposed to pray for them. But what is certain is that government is not a secular thing, not in the mind of God. Government is something that derives its authority from God. God has a will for government. God establishes those who rule. This is hard for us to understand, especially for those who live in democratic, those of us who live in democratic societies, and we think, well, we elected them, they're there, it's all by natural processes. The Christians living in the first century during the time that Paul wrote this uh, Romans 13 passage, were, they were obviously living in the Roman Empire. 
And the Roman Empire was a wicked place. It was devoted to gods at every level. It was devoted to a, to a pantheon, a whole series of gods. It was violent. Uh, it was harsh. Obviously, it was the opposite of the spirit of Jesus. And what did Paul tell the Christians to do? Submit to the governing authorities. Well, these were pagans. These were Romans. These were demon-worshipping Romans. But Paul says, the governing authorities have authority from God. Now, this is hard for us to understand. All throughout the Bible, God says, those who govern, even those who don't acknowledge me, have their authority from God. There's this great passage of, of Scripture in the book of Acts where Paul said something harsh to a man when he was in a trial. Then he was told, this man's the high priest. And Paul said, you know, I apologize. I should not have spoken ill of this man, for the Bible says, and he was quoting the Old Testament, the Bible says, don't speak ill of the ruler of your people. Here was an unrighteous man. In fact, this man was part of the family that had actually convicted Jesus and put him on the cross. An unrighteous man. But when Paul saw, understood what his position was, he said, I'm sorry, don't speak ill of the ruler of your people. And he showed respect. Now, what I want you to understand is that it's not as though the church is the holy thing in the world and the state is secular. God has a will for many institutions in society. He's ordained the family, he's ordained the school, he's ordained the church, he's ordained civil government. And we should not regard government as something secular and evil and something not to be a part of. Christians have thought that way throughout history, and all it has done is removed them from being involved in government and caused governments to go even further astray. We must understand that the Bible says, certainly God has called the church into being, he's established governing authorities in the church, that's valuable, but the state is a separate thing, and yet it's also ordained by God. Uh, in, in the American experience, the Puritans, our Puritan forebears, used to say that church and state are like in faith, but separate in function. Like in faith, but separate in function. What does that mean? Both, both drive, derive their authority from God. Both are meant to be based on the Word of God. Um, both are meant to be governed according to the principles of the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit of God, but they're separate in function. The church, obviously, a ministry of God's Word and Spirit, a place of discipleship and training, a place where God manifests His presence in worship, etc. The state is a ministry of justice and righteousness. What does it say in Romans 13? That those who are the civil magistrates or the governing authorities don't bear the sword in vain. What does that mean? They have the right to use the sword, to execute criminals, to, to defend the society. They have, a, they have a calling to justice and defense. This is unbelievably important because we have a tendency to see government as an evil, secular thing. And in our society especially, and I'm, I'm going to speak of American society for just a moment, although I know many of you watching are not from the United States. We, especially as Christians, have become very cynical about our government, very harsh, very condemning. Um, we think it's okay to speak uh, just any kind of off-color humor or anger or crassness about our governing leaders. The reality is, the Bible says, we should understand that those people are servants of the Lord, even if they don't recognize it and that they have authority from God. They're called to lead according to Scripture. They may not recognize that and know that, but we still are called to respect them. We are called to pray for them. We're called to honor them. We're called to uh, submit to them. We're called to pay taxes to them. We're called to recognize them as God's authority. This is unbelievably important. Unbelievably important. Because for many of us in the countries in which we live, 
Uh, God, I believe, is willing and eager to do more things to change our national governments, to work in the lives of governing leaders, uh, to, to, to reach into the realms of legislatures and parliaments and, and, and prime ministers and presidents and, and capture lives. But he needs his church to stop opposing his work amongst them. He needs for his church to bless and to pray and to not be in an antagonistic role against those who govern. You know, here in the United States, we have very, very contentious politics. Um, and many people who are uh, more Christian are, tend to be on, 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 in the Republican Party on the right, and so they speak ill of those on the left. They speak ill of those who, in, in our party language, are Democrats. This is unrighteous. Now, you should stand for what you stand for. Stand for your principles. I'm very strongly pro-life. I don't believe abortion is the will of God. I believe it's the taking of a human life. Very strongly for, uh, you know, the rule of law. Thing, things of that nature that I imagine we all share. At the same time, though, I can't just speak harshly and condemn and curse those who don't agree with me. I need to realize there are righteous people on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. And I need to bless those in authority over me. There's a, an attitude that has arisen, particularly in the West, that government is inherently evil. <clears throat> it leads to what we sometimes call in American political language a libertarian attitude. It would be better if there were no government. It's almost anarchy. No government, no rule of law, no, no, no governing authorities. The state shouldn't have any power. But the Bible says that the state is ordained of God. The Bible says that God chooses who will rule and who will not, even though we have our democratic processes. The Bible says He guides the heart of kings like a water course, like a, like a hose, literally guiding where the water goes. Um, the Bible says that we should pray, we should pay taxes, we should submit, we should honor. And uh, you, you probably don't know that I spend a good deal of my time working with people who are in government, people who are pretty high levels of, in, in national governments. And one of the things I do is I approach them, even if they're wicked, unrighteous people. And I have sat in the offices of murdering presidents, people who have, presidents who have murdered the folks in their countries, murdered to get in their position. And I have said, you know, if you are going to rule this country, you need to understand that you have an obligation to God. You need to understand that it's his authority that really establishes you and his truth that you ought to be obeying and you have an obligation and you'll answer for how you use that authority. I gotta tell you I've seen some change in some people's lives because if they're especially if they're not Christian or, or, or believers or come from a biblical base they tend to think that they have authority because of the votes of the people. So they become demagogues and tyrants manipulating the people. We're going to continue this in the next 15 but I want to tell you this it's very important that we undergo a shift in our thinking we should not perceive the church as spiritual and the state as secular. The, the, the church as the God's will and the state as something God has no connection to. The reality is that God cares very much about civil government, that God cares very much about the government of nations, that God cares very much about doing His will and releasing His authority and blessing us with good government. And as I look around the world today, I see the church doesn't really understand that. Therefore, the church is not praying for leaders, not raising up leaders, uh, not confronting leaders, not challenging and pastoring leaders. And I think many times our nations suffer as a result. So we're going to continue this in the next 15. But hold on to this truth. God has ordained the church. God has ordained the state. And he has a will and an eagerness to work in both. That's exciting. And that is your 15.